1968 was an extremely tumultuous year. For those who lived through that, who walked that, you probably remember there was a pandemic going on. There was, there was uh, d- disunity within the nation. There was civil rights mo- uh, movement happening. And uh, on top of all that, there was the war going on in Vietnam. So much hurt and pain and difficulty and chaos going on in the world and everybody did not know what to do or which way to go. And then on Christmas Eve, Apollo 8 from the heavens read throughout all the earth in the beginning. God. You see, there the astronauts were sitting on Apollo 8 looking down on earth in the most chaotic time trying to pull everybody on earth into perspective. God is in control. God's here. And he's always had this place in his hands. You know, on earth, we find extreme chaos. There's so many times when we feel like we're all alone, like we're trying to hold on with everything we have, all the power we have, try to just hold everything together. And it just seems so impossible. Here we are as we continue on this message series, The Last Supper on the Moon, and we're dealing with the seventh, what is the seventh and final miracle that John highlights in his gospel. And there's something powerful with that number. You know, biblically speaking, when you look into the Bible, when the Bible uses the number seven, there's something significant there because seven was a very important number. Seven signified completion. Seven signified the fullness of something. So John was highlighting here in this moment, through all these miracles, we are getting a glimpse of the fullness of Christ, the reality of all that he is. And who he is to us. And so here we are as we continue on in this series with this this miracle that they described as probably the most powerful. The biggest of them all. But as we deal with this miracle, there's a question we have to wrestle with today. It's a question that I think we all tend to wrestle with at some points in our journey. A question that maybe some of you in this moment, in your a situation in life, maybe you're dealing with it right now, and that question is, what do we do when it seems like God disappoints us? What do we do when it seems like God just lets us down? We've been there. Can we just be real? I've been there many times when I've been completely frustrated and disappointed and overwhelmed with life and just look up into the heavens and ask God, where are you? Why aren't you coming through? Why aren't you working here? Why are you leaving me all alone? Have you been in that moment where it just seems like life completely lets you down, like God's letting us down? That's the situation here in the story we're talking about. In John chapter 11 and verse 1, it starts this way. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. You see what happened, is happening here. Lazarus was dying. He was dying. You know, when we look at the space program, it is impossible to separate death 
from the space program. In fact, from the beginning of its installment in the space, pro- space program, the, the astronauts and the doctors and everybody involved were so fearful that sickness would derail the program. They were so fearful of sickness because in this time there's a lot of illnesses, there was a pandemic going on. They didn't want any, the astronauts taking sickness into, into space. And so they would quarantine the astronauts two to three weeks so that they wouldn't bring sickness to space. And then they were worried, what if there's some crazy like, you know, like uh, space illness up there? That, that we don't know about, that, that could exist. And, and we don't want them to bring some space illness back to Earth. And so when the astronauts came back from their mission, they had to spend another three weeks in an RV. They went on a camping trip when they came back to Earth so that they make sure they weren't bringing some space illness back into the Earth. And as hard as they tried, Apollo 8 mission, somehow sickness was taken into, the, into space. And the astronauts of Apollo 8 all were on this rocket ship sick. And it got nasty. I'm not going to get into the nastiness of it, but you can imagine there's no gravity. Things are floating around. Things are not pretty. Okay? They were not enjoying life in this moment. It got so bad, one of the astronauts broke protocol. He said, I don't care. He put on a gas, uh, a gas mask. He's like, I'm not dealing with this anymore. Sickness broke through. You know, as they dealt with sickness, another big thing that the astronauts dealt with was death. Did you know there was, in the Apollo program, there were 73 astronauts. Of those 73, 40 astronauts had the opportunity to actually fly to space. And of those 73 astronauts, nine died. Over 10% of the astronauts who committed to the space program died. Some died on tests test practice runs. Some died on flying their airplanes to, to Houston and other places uh, to, to, to deal with some of the things in the mission and their, and their planes crashed. But death became the norm. Death became a part of the role. And they couldn't escape it. You see, the point is, you cannot separate from the space program sickness or death. It was all part of it. It was a part of the journey. You know, as we look at, take this into a spiritual sense, you know, that we, we use this, this launch to the moon as something out there that you see that's attainable, an inspiration to get a hold of something, to, to take that step onto something, which spiritually speaking is this relationship with Jesus, the hope that he had, the blessed ha- life, the happy life that he, pr- that he promises for us. Yeah, so often it seems like it's out there. It, it, I can see it, but I just can't get it. It's a, it it's just does not seem attainable. It seems further beyond I can grasp. And we want to obtained this this blessed life that he provides for us. God's heart, his desire for us is that we all experience joy in our day-to-day, but no matter what, in order to get there, we have to walk through hardship. We have to walk through pain. We have to walk through difficulty. In order to truly experience the joy that he has for us, we have to walk through sorrow. We have to walk through sickness and and death because we live in a world that has an expiration date. We live in a world that is going to expire. Hebrews 9, 27, it says, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. 
I'm not trying to be a downer today or just be like a gloomy day here at the impact. But we're all gonna experience death one day. One day I will die. I know you're thinking, yes, Bill. Oh, you can, one day we will die. One day we will be no more. But Jesus came to destroy death. You know, in order to get to the moon, we had to get a rocket to get there. Spiritually speaking, Jesus is our rocket. Jesus is our connection from the world we live in, all the junk we deal with, and he's the rocket to get us to the life that God wants us to experience, the life that God has for us. But in order for us to get there, there's going to be hard days. Life's not always going to be pretty and easy and go our way. And so in those moments, when life lets us down, in those moments when we're experiencing all the pain, the sickness, the death, the frustrations, the disappointment of life, what do you do when it feels like God has let you down? What do you do in those painful moments? Because in the story of Lazarus, We see so much pain and grief and disappointment and confusion. We just see plain out raw emotion with the people. But through it all, guys, don't miss this. Through it all, we see the resurrection. We see the power of the resurrection. And that's what we see in this story. You know, in the panic of the moment, when Lazarus was sick, Verse 3, the sisters sent word to Jesus, and they said, Lord, the one you love, the one you love is sick. And in this moment, we see the, the overwhelming emotion of panic, of confusion, of shock. It boils up into disappointment. And as you continue on in the story, you see them have a sense of betrayal, a sense of betrayal of Jesus. You promised you would be there. You promised you were our friend. You were promised you were by our side. But when we needed you, you weren't there. Have you ever felt that feeling like Jesus portrayed you? Come on, we can be real with that. Sometimes we walk through that. There will be days when you feel like God let you down. There are days, many times, when I walk through life and face disappointments and hardships and heartaches and I looked up to the heavens and I just felt like, God, you let me down. I thought you would be here and you weren't. Have you ever felt like that? Let's be honest, we all have. There's all been moments when we felt like that. And in the panic of the moment, word was sent to Jesus. And they didn't even have to use his name. They said, Jesus, the one you love is sick. The one you love is dying. The one you love is in desperate need of your help. You see, tapping into their emotions in this moment, you need to understand something. Mary and Martha, this family was a wealthy family. And, and they were just outside Jerusalem. And Jesus, every time he went through Jerusalem, he built a relationship with his family. They invited, them over, invited him into his house. And he had dinner with them. He hung out with them. He, he became really good friends with them. The, Jesus called Lazarus a close friend. They were, they were tight. They, they were good company to hang out with. They were deep friendship. They were in a deep friendship. And that's what just builds in this disappointment. 
See, Mary and Martha, in this moment, when they sent word, the one that you love is dying, they expected Jesus to drop everything in that moment and rush there. I mean, let's be honest. If you got word, someone that you desperately love is on their deathbed, that tomorrow may not come for them, would you not drop everything to get there? That's their expectation for Jesus. But he didn't operate that way. The Bible says that he waited two full days. They expected him to rush there, and he didn't. You know what's the challenge in our life, in our journey, spiritually speaking? We, by nature, create expectations of how things should be, of what we want life to be, of how things should play out. And it's not always bad. But God does not always work within the realms of our expectations. And most of our disappointments with God tends to be built up and and brought upon when the way God works clashes with our expectations. What we expect him to do and what he really does. Jesus, despite their expectations, waited two more days. He hung around the campfire. He's like, I'm finishing my burger. I'm not going. And all he did was he left, sent the messenger back to them, completely empty-handed, with just this message in verse 4. The sickness will not end in death. It is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. So he sent back with the messenger. This is all happening so that God's glory may be seen. And there's moments when life disappoints you, when it seems like God let you down. What do you do? What do you do when all the emotions begin to stir up and it just seems like internally you're, you're, you're going crazy? Chaos is happening. What do you do in that moment? Can I just encourage you? Here's the hard part. The first thing we see through Jesus here in this moment that, that we need to understand and do is in those moments, don't jump to conclusions. I get it. It's easier said than done. Because in those moments when my expectations aren't met, when I feel like life is crashing down, it's like everything is chaos. Everything is, I'm in an emergency. I need you now. And everything's just spinning out of control. And I'm reaching out for anything desperately for some sort of hope in my life. It's too, it's too hard to say, don't jump to conclusions. Because in that moment, quickly you're thinking, God's not there. Does he really exist? Is he really who he said he was? Does he really have the ability? Or is this what life is? But in some way within you, I'm urging you, I'm encouraging you, don't allow your emotions to draw you into conclusions that causes you to miss out on the reality of God. Just, just hold on for a moment. Just hold on. You know, you feel it coming. You feel it rising. Your mind is racing. But God's still working. We get so locked into our perspective of the chaos that we miss the view of God. 
know what's beautiful is, is when, what's amazing is when you're sitting on earth, when we're sitting on earth and we look up at the moon, it seems so far, it seems so distant, it seems so unattainable, unreachable. And I get, if you're like me, you just get so locked in to our chaos that's all around us. And the moon's so far away. But look at this picture. I mean, the moon and the earth completely complement each other. Sitting on the moon, I always wish, boy, one day I could be sitting there. Sitting on the moon, the earth has a completely different perspective. All of a sudden, it's like what I thought was huge and, and humongous is very small in the perspective of everything that is. Everything that I thought was so overwhelming, so small. This perspective of God. Sometimes I think we need to take a step back and see God's perspective rather than our own perspective. Because God's in control of all that. Of all that. So keep that in mind. When we're thinking about God, when we're talking about us and our relationship with God, the Bible says God is the God of heaven and we are here on earth. And so what that means is we can't trust in how we see things. We just can't. We try to make sense of everything around us based upon what we see and we just can't do that. We miss the overall perspective Rather than trying to see things from our own perspective, we need to find the ability to take a step back and see the perspective of God. And when Jesus encountered Mary and Martha on that day, when he finally got there a few days later, now Lazarus was already dead. Their emotions were running strong. Their disappointment was heavy. And Jesus simply said, hold on. Don't jump to conclusions. Just hold on. Because when they got through this trial, Jesus reminded them. You see, when he said, when he sent the messenger to them, he said, this is going to happen so that, why? My glory is revealed. And then after they got through the end of the story, when, when he healed, when he brought Lazarus back from dead, verse 40, Jesus said to the Mary and Martha, did I not tell you? Don't you remember? I told you this was going to all happen. It was all going to work out so that... You see my glory. So you see the glory of God. See, in this, throughout the story, Jesus is trying to help them to get the perspective of God rather than the perspective of what they see. And I think that's a challenge. Because it's so easy when life overwhelms. It's so easy when sickness and death and brokenness consume us. It's so easy to get so locked into what we see that we lose sight of the promises of God. We lose sight of what God is already doing. My friends, don't trust your eyes. Stop trusting your feelings because it doesn't lead us into the reality of who God is. The Bible says that we are to walk by faith, not by sight. That's what the Bible says. The Bible over and over again says, stop trusting what you see. Stop trusting what feels right to you and walk with me. Because if you give in to your eyes, if you give in to your feelings, 
we always find ourselves walking journeys of fear. Fear of what tomorrow will bring. Fear of what might happen. Fear of of how this doom and gloom is just going to kind of beat us down and lock us in the tomb. But my friends, can I tell you right now, fear is a response to faith in the enemy rather than faith in a God who loves you, who died for you, who walked out of that tomb to give you life. Walk by faith, not by sight. And so he told them on that day, this does not end in death. This is going to happen so that my glory is revealed. That's what Jesus said in verse 4. This will not end in death. I've got something bigger here for you to see. And I think we need to hear that message today. We need to get really good at reminding ourselves and telling ourselves and speaking over the situations we face. This does not end in death. I know I got fired I know we're dealing with this illness that just seems like it's, it's overwhelming and, and there's nothing we can do about it. I know we, our relationships are broken. I know this is hard. I know what the bank account says. I know this is impossible. It seems impossible. But my friends, this is not how the story ends. Jesus is telling them, this is not how your story ends. This does not end in death. For those who pursue Jesus... The story ends in his glory. In his glory. And so we need to have the ability to speak over all the disappointments we face in life, the illnesses and death and the brokenness, and remind ourselves glory is coming. For those who pursue him, glory is coming. And I get it. As we read the story, as we get into the weeds of the story, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. It's almost like we're building a case that God's not there. God doesn't exist. God's not good. He's not kind. He doesn't care. He doesn't have a big picture in mind. He doesn't really have a plan. It's just like, let's just see if everything falls into place as best as we can try. But I'm here to tell you what Jesus is highlighting here. It does not end in death. The end, Jesus is finds himself and reveals himself being glorified. You know what's beautiful in this story? In these miracles? The very first miracle was what? Do you guys remember? Come on, seven weeks ago. It was the miracle at the wedding. This last miracle is at a funeral. And I think there's something very important that the Bible is highlighting in this moment. In all of our circumstances in life, in every situation, on the most horrific days and on the greatest of days, Jesus is enough. He's always been enough, and he will always be enough. We just need to pursue him in every situation of our life. He's enough. And while this moment seems overwhelming, impossible, and broken, he's enough. His love, his perfect love. But as I read this story... There's some hard things in this story for us to grapple with. And here in this story, Lazarus, Jesus calls Lazarus his friend. They were close friends. It wasn't just like, like an acquaintance, like, hey, I saw you in the hall, what's up, high five. No, these guys, they were friends. They shared stories. They shared life together. And the thing that 
you wrestle with, you let him die. You let him die. And the hard truth, guys, I struggle with this too, because I don't always get it. But the hard truth here is sometimes God allows us to walk through hardships so that we can see his power. Sometimes he allows us to go through the junk so that we can experience the reality of his glory. And in this moment, God has something powerful that he wanted to showcase to the whole community. Doesn't make it easy, but God's not done yet. He's still working. And in hard moments, in those moments, we find ourselves broken and frustrated. It's okay to bring your emotions and hurt to Jesus. You need to be real with your emotions. You need to be honest with your emotions. Your emotions are not wrong. Your emotions are not bad. The problem is when life hurts, when life stings, when life beats us down, is we just kind of stuff it in and deal with it on our own. And that's not good. In this moment when Jesus approached the community, Martha was the first one to run to him, followed by Mary. And with these, we see a quick line of the reality of raw emotions. Martha ran to Jesus and she was ticked off. We see her begin to question Jesus. Jesus, where were you? If you were here, this would never have happened. If you came, he would not have died. Where were you? She was angry at God. And what we learn in this situation, my friends, it's okay to be angry. Anger is not a bad emotion. It's not wrong. What we do with our anger is what makes a difference. It's okay to be angry, and it is okay when you're angry with God. He's okay with that. In fact, like Martha, sometimes in our moments when we are broken and defeated and beat down and we're just ticked off with God, he doesn't want you to bottle it up. He wants you to bring it to him. Be real with him. It's okay to have your emotions. It's okay. Bring them to God. Mary was completely broken. She just broke down and sobbed in this moment. And then we also see the raw emotions of Jesus. Jesus begins to show his true heart right now. You know, they were all, everybody at this moment was focused on the physical. Jesus raised him from the dead. We want him back to life. But Jesus knew, I could raise this man back to life, but in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, you name it, he's going to be sick again. And he's going to be back in the same spot. It's not the point. Everybody's focused on what is physical. I'm trying to get you to see what's spiritual, the reality of what's beyond this world. And Jesus even said in verses 25 and 26, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this, he says. You need to adjust your focus. And we see Jesus' raw emotions primarily because their focus was missing the point. They were missing it. 
And through all this, Jesus completely breaks down over the death of Lazarus and and the focus of the people. In the shortest verse of the Bible, verse 35, Jesus wept. In fact, three times in this story, we see the Bible describe Jesus completely breaking down in raw emotions. He's angry, he's agitated, he's sad, and everything's just boiling up within him. Guys, please understand this. Your emotions are not wrong. They're not wrong. In fact, you could be right on track, making the right choices, but still your emotions get the best of you. And it's okay. And Jesus, as he walked through his emotions, he showed what perfection looked like, looks like as you deal with the reality of your emotions. What that walk looks like. Jesus continues to shake with his emotion. But through it all, he continues to trust God and he lifts up his voice. He began to hear the whispers around him. Just beyond Mary and Martha, everybody else started looking at Jesus and some of the crowd was saying, hey, look how much he loved this man. While others began to, to question Jesus and, 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 and put stabs, stabs at Jesus. Well, if he was really the Messiah, if he was really who he said he was, couldn't he have just raised us? I mean, why are we here? He could have done something about it. And Jesus heard all that. And the Bible says he lifted his voice and he prayed this prayer in verse 41. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. Did you catch that? We sometimes overcomplicate it when all we need to do is pray. Get on our knees and go before the throne of the living God. We think, it's not gonna work. But something powerful happens when when you release the control of you and give it to the control of him. And just give it to him. And Jesus prayed here a powerful prayer, and don't miss what he said there. Father, I'm praying not just for my benefit, but you catch it? For the benefit of those around me. He knew that people need to see his relationship with the Father. And my friends, there's people in your life who need to see your relationship with the Father. It breaks my heart when I hear people say, well, my faith is private. I keep it to myself. Well, you know what? Can I just be blunt? Jesus did not die on the cross to be your secret friend. He didn't. He didn't. Everything, every time I read the Bible and I read the gospel stories, Jesus is calling us to follow him be light in this world and light in this world is reflected by us showing I am submitted to this guy. I'm on my knees before him. Friends, there is power in prayer. Don't overlook the simplistic of the power of just getting on your knees and releasing to him and there's people in your life, guys, who need to see that relationship that you have with the Father. Fathers, your children should be seeing you praying. Mothers, your children should be seeing you praying. 
Husbands, your wives should be seeing you praying. The people in our life need to see, I am submitted to him. They need to see that power. They need to see the reality of that relationship. Because ultimately they're following you to him. And we need to be that light. My friends, we got to be praying. Our relationship has to be real. Not just privately, but publicly. We need to have an authentic, real relationship with him. And as we walk through all the hardships of this stuff, we got to keep going. We got to keep trusting. We got to keep going. We got to keep trusting because he's walking us through in this journey. You know, in this moment, Jesus said, hey guys, after he prayed, he says, time to remove the stone. It's time to remove the stone. And Mary and Martha began instantly, it's, it's not going to work. It can't work. He's, by now he's been dead for four days. And guess what? He stinks. The odor is going to go over all the people. It's going to be nasty. We can't, Jesus. It's over. It's done. Move on with life. They threw in the towel. But Jesus said, keep going and keep trusting. I think, guys, I think sometimes as we go through the junk of life, we give God too many excuses as to why we think it won't work. Oh, just pray. It sounds too easy. That's not going to work. Just give it to him. That doesn't work. Follow this path in my life. It doesn't work. And we throw all these darts at God, all these excuses, why we think, based upon our view of things, our perspective, why it won't work. And we just kind of give up. When Jesus says, let me deal with that. Let me deal with that. You seek me. You know, for them to experience the powerful raising from the dead moment, for them to experience this miracle, what is impossible to man, for in order for that to happen, they had to remove the stone. It would not happen until they removed that stone. And sometimes we have so many excuses why we can't remove that stone. He says, just, just do it. Can I be clear for you for a moment? Everybody listen to this. Hear me out. Jesus will never do for you what you can do for yourself. He will do the impossible, but he calls you to do what is practical. He calls you to remove the stone. And some of us are missing out on what God wants to do in your life, on the power he wants to reveal in your life, because there's some stone in the way. What stone in your life needs to be removed right now? What stone needs to be rolled away? God raises what is dead, but he needs us to move the stone in order for him to do what is impossible. He needs us to take the practical step. And don't miss this as well. We all have a part to play in this. In order for that stone to be removed, for Lazarus to experience the miracle in his life, the community had to come together to remove that stone. 
And I think, sadly, there are too many Christians who are trying to deal with their junk on their own, or they throw in the towel, they say it's not possible because they haven't removed the stone, they can't remove the stone, and they just build up walls with the people of God who are there in their life, who want to love them and walk with them and help remove the practical stone in their life. But we box each other out. My friends, sometimes some of us need to allow the people of God in our life in order to help us to take those practical steps. And that's okay. That is okay. So who needed to hear that today? Who's dealing with junk in their life and you've just been boxing out the people of God? to help you take the practical steps to remove that stone so that God can work. It's time to let the community in. It's time to let the community surround you and love you the way that God designed it to be. We have to remove the stone to experience what God wants to give to us. And like Mary and Martha on this day, so many times we feel like God let us down. But in this moment, when they remove the stone, the story says that Jesus, I don't know if he was looking at the ground, I don't know what he was doing, but as soon as they removed the stone, the Bible says he looked, he lifted his eyes. You know, we see that in other miracles, when Jesus lifts his eyes, and it's like go time. See, sometimes, friends, we need to lift up our eyes. Because we get our tunnel vision locked in. We get so locked into all the junk we're dealing with, the problems that we are facing. We're so locked into that that we don't see the opportunity that God has in our life. And at some point, we need to lift our eyes away from the problem to the opportunity that's in Christ. And see him. It's too easy to focus on the pain so easy to focus on what's bringing all the hurt. But we need to adjust that focus to the one who frees us from all that. We need to look up. Sometimes we, we get so caught up in the moment, we think, this is my end game. This is it. This tomb is the rest of my life. It's over. I can't do anything about it. And we get so locked up in the here and now, we don't let, miss on God's perspective of the glory that he wants to bring. You know, guess what? God is always two to three steps ahead of us. He's always a few steps ahead of us so that we can experience him more and more. And as we go through all these hardships, you know what the Bible says for us to do? Rejoice. Rejoice. Romans 5, Paul writes, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. I know what you're saying, Bill. You're going too far now. No way. I'm not throwing a party when life stinks. I'm not throwing a happy party when everything's falling apart in my life. But the Bible says, rejoice in those moments. Adjust your heart away from the problem to the God who's working through the problem. And rejoice. Because you know that in those moments... God is working through your hardships. You can rejoice, you can glory in those hardships because through them, God is creating within you perseverance and character and hope 
And listen to this, what the verse said, a hope that does not disappoint. A hope that will not let you down. The next verse that we did not read says this is because he gives us a spirit that guides us and leads us. I hope you're here next week because there's going to be an amazing spirit of the reality of the spirit of God working in our life. Don't miss that as we conclude this this series. And throughout this series, I hope you realize something else. No matter what you're going through, no matter how impossible your moment in life seems, there is a God who desperately loves you. There is a God who is fighting for you behind the scenes. There is a God who died for you and walked out of that tomb so that you have the ability to walk out of that tomb that you're facing. You can have that power because through that, he wants to give you the ability to have a life that flourishes. Proverbs 72 says, in his days, may the righteous flourish and prosperity abound till the moon is no more. No matter how dark your world is right now, in your family, in your situations, lift your eyes up at night and see the moon. Because the Bible says as long as that moon is in the sky, you can know there's a God who's working. There's a God who's fighting for you. He's not done yet. Do you know there's a Bible on the moon too? On Apollo 8, I'm sorry, Apollo 15 mission, astronaut David Scott, when he was done driving his rover all over the moon, before he went back into the lunar module to go up to the rocket to come back to Earth, he had this red Bible and he placed it on the dashboard of that rover so that when everybody goes back there, they will realize there's a Bible on the moon. There's a reason why we all exist. Guys, there's a Bible on the moon. Tonight, look at the sky and see the moon. No matter your sadness, your grief, your hardships, your brokenness, Jesus wants to join you in your sorrow and pain to walk with you to experience his his glory. As long as that moon exists, there's a God who's fighting for you. Allow me to leave you with these words in Psalm 16. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to the path of life. You will fill me with joy in the presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. My friends, whatever you're going through in the moment, may you know that God has not abandoned you. He's not done yet. Keep pursuing him to experience his glory. And if you're going through a dark season and you need to talk to somebody, please know that we're here for you. There's a community here who loves you. Let's pray together. Father, in this moment, we seek you. In this moment, we reach out to you to experience the fullness of you. Lord, I just pray, I don't know who these words are for today, who's walking through a hard season right now, maybe who's facing disappointments and and a sense of betrayal from you. But Lord God, may they just be real with you in this moment. May they allow the people of God to surround them and to love them. And may they just pursue you to experience your glory. Lord, you're not done yet. 
May we just keep walking with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.